Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 263. It's titled, Should You Invest in Gold? Gold? It's had a pretty good year. In 2019, it is at a six-year high, up close to 14% year-to-date. And I'm starting to get more questions from listeners about gold. There's been other podcasts about it. I recently listened to the Indicator podcast from Planet Money. The episode was titled Gold Rush 2.0. They quoted Josh Brown. He is the CEO of Ritzholtz Wealth Management. He also has the Twitter handle Reformed Broker, has over a million followers. I have followed him in the past. Here's what he said in the episode. Gold is below the level it traded at in the early 1980s, almost 40 years ago, on an inflation-adjusted basis. Everything outperformed it, including treasury bonds, including real estate, including, I mean, stocks versus gold over the last four decades, it's embarrassing. It's not even worth discussing. One of the hosts, Darius Rafian, then said, and this woman right now could be gold's last real hurrah. Josh says gold is getting a little outdated. A lot of younger investors who want an independent, government-free store of wealth now tend to gravitate not to gold, but to cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Is gold an embarrassment relative to other asset classes? Why should we own gold? Should we own it at all? What are the reasons that people own gold? And are those reasons valid? Do they stand up to testing? We'll look at that in this episode. Gold is trading for $1,476 per ounce as I record this. But, Josh Brown is right. If we look at what the price of gold was in 1980, in today's dollars, it was worth over $1,900. So it did lose money on an inflation-adjusted basis. Yet 1980 was the peak. From 1979 to 1980, gold quadrupled in value. In 1980s dollars, it went from $200 per ounce to $800 per ounce. And again, that $800 would be the equivalent of $1,900 today. But then gold, after peaking in 1980, fell back to $250 an ounce by the time the early 2000 came around. That's equivalent to about $400 today. So had you bought gold in 1980, you definitely would have lost money on both a nominal and inflation-adjusted basis. Had you bought in 1979, though you would have earned about 2% annualized on a real basis. Had you bought in 2002, close to the bottom, 
you would have earned about 8% annualized on a real basis. The performance of gold then very much depends on when you bought it. Just like with other asset classes, if you buy near a peak, you won't do as well. If you buy near a trough, you'll perform better. One of the challenges with gold is there isn't a way to figure out whether you're at a peak or a trough. And we'll look at some of those metrics in this episode. Let's look then at why people own gold. There's three primary reasons. One, as an inflation hedge. Two, as a safe haven. And three, because they believe it is scarce and under-owned in an era of increasing money supply and an era that is increasingly controlled or the money supply is heavily influenced by central banks. A primary reason that individuals and institutions own gold is as an inflation hedge. The idea that the gold price will keep up with inflation over time. And it did do that if you bought gold in 1970, 1979, and 1995. But if you bought gold in 1980 and 2010, it has not kept up with inflation. There's a fascinating paper called The Golden Dilemma. It's by Claude B. Erb and Campbell R. Harvey. It was published in the Financial Analyst Journal. They go through and test the reasons to own gold. They point out, quote, if gold were a perfect short-term hedge of inflation, then the real price of gold should be a constant and exhibit no real price variability. If it was a perfect hedge, then it shouldn't be dropping and rising in price significantly. But it has been. Gold has been very volatile. They point out during the period of their study, so from 1974 through 2011, that the 10-year annualized gold returns range from negative 6% to over 20% annualized. That's on a nominal basis. They point out there was also significant variation in gold prices on a real basis. Over that same time period, on a 10-year annualized basis, inflation was as low as 2.3% per year to 7.3% per year. The range was only about 5 percentage points. The range was 26 percentage points on a 10-year basis for gold. It's not great in terms of protecting against inflation on the short term because its price varies so much. They did a study and looked at, well, what about unexpected inflation, which would be ideal to have an asset class that if inflation comes in higher than expected, that it does well. They found virtually no correlation at all. And this matters if you happen to be in a country experiencing high inflation. They give the example of a Brazilian investor who bought gold in 1980 as an inflation hedge. Over the next 20 years, Brazil had average annual inflation of about 250%. How did gold do during that time? Well, in terms of the Brazilian currency, gold lost 70% on a real basis. It didn't protect against inflation. Now, had you held cash or bonds in Brazil, you would have lost pretty much 100% of the value. So gold did better than those asset categories. But it certainly wasn't an inflation hedge for Brazilians 
Because, as we pointed out, the peak of gold prices was in 1980, and then it bottomed in the early 2000s. If we contrast that with Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, which are bonds issued by the U.S. government, where the principal value is increased each year by the rate of inflation. So you don't have the variability. It's a much better inflation hedge. Gold has outperformed inflation over time, but there's no guarantee that it will. That's why Jim Grant, who is the editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer and a columnist for Barron's, wrote, Gold is an investment in disorder, not a hedge against inflation. A second reason individuals own gold is a safe haven in case there's some type of geopolitical collapse. The paper by Urban Harvey point out that there's two conditions for an asset to be a safe haven. The price should be stable when other asset markets are faltering, when there is some type of geopolitical risk. Sometimes gold does do well in that environment. At other times, it doesn't. The other aspect of a safe haven is that it needs to be accessible during times of stress. Can you actually liquidate and sell that gold? Gold's heavy. It's hard to carry around. Now, fortunately, it's worth a lot. $1,473 an ounce, so you can get a little tube with 20 coins in it, mint, American Eagles, an ounce each, worth about $30,000, and you can carry that around, so it's possible, but then who are you going to sell it to? One of the other challenges with gold in its history, it's been confiscated by the government. It's been illegal to own gold. Governments can make rules about that, and they have. And so I'm not sure to what extent gold is a safe haven. But that's one reason I own gold, just in case, just as Jim Grant says. It's an investment in disorder. When things are falling apart, hopefully gold will do well. Urban Harvey write, gold is viewed by many as being durable and largely imperishable, characteristics which make gold its own safe haven against the ravages of the world. It is not necessarily a safe haven for the owner of gold. A third reason that individuals and institutions own gold is they believe it's under-owned, which means they believe demand, particularly by investors, will increase as market conditions change, as economic conditions change, as political conditions change. That there'll be more disorder, that there'll be more monetary debasement, that fiat currency will lose some of its trust, and that individuals and institutions will want to own some other asset to be a store of value. And by store of value, we're talking about the ability to maintain its value in the face of inflation. Now, we've shown that gold does do that over long periods of time, depending on when you buy it, but it doesn't do it every year. Let's look then at the supply and demand characteristics of gold. Last year, 2018, according to the World Gold Council, there was 3,500 tons of gold mined, so new gold into the market and another 1,200 tons that was recycled. So the total new supply was about 4,700 tons. And typically, the supply of gold increases about 1.5% to 2% per year. 
The demand for gold in 2018 was about 4,400 tons. About half, or 2,200, was used for jewelry. Another 335 tons for technology. 1,164 tons for investment. In other words, new gold going into investment. People buying gold from an investment perspective, be it newly minted gold coins or perhaps through an exchange-traded fund. A trust, such as the iShares Gold Trust, which, as it creates more shares, needs to go buy more physical gold to store with a custodian. And then 656 tons were bought by central banks. Central banks in Russia, China, India, Iran, that are trying to de-dollarize their reserves. Instead of holding the U.S. dollar as a reserve, they want to own more gold. That's what drives the demand, and then there's the supply. And the idea is that there will be more investment demand in the future. Warren Buffett, in the 2011 Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letter, wrote, What motivates most gold purchasers is their belief that the ranks of the fearful will grow. During the past decade, that belief has proved correct. Beyond that, the rising price has on its own generated additional buying enthusiasm, attracting purchasers who see the rise as validating an investment thesis. As bandwagon investors join any party, they create their own truth for a while. You buy gold because you believe it's going to go up in price because more and more investors will want to own gold. So there's a momentum aspect to it, a trend aspect to it. Most gold timing models give buy signals when the price of gold has been going up. It has a positive trend. In fact, if we look at the performance of the New York spot gold price from 1971 through August 5th, 2019, when gold, 50-day moving average, so the average price of gold over the past 50 days, when that is higher than the 200-day moving average, which means the more recent price of gold is higher than sort of the intermediate price of gold. You have an upward trend in the price of gold. When that occurs, gold has returned 13.6% annualized. And it's in that condition about 58% of the time. 42% of the time, the 50-day moving average is below the 200-day moving average, and the price of gold has been flat. There is a bandwagon effect to gold. Before we explore other things that influence the price of gold, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. 
you can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com David for your extended 30-day free trial. One of the characteristics of gold is it doesn't generate any income. It just sits there and looks pretty. And so there's an opportunity cost to holding gold. Consequently, when real interest rates are high, that opportunity cost is higher. But when real interest rates are low, then gold generally is more attractive. Right now, there are $13 trillion worth of bonds around the world that are priced to earn a negative yield. That means if you hold the bonds, you're losing money. Whereas if you hold gold, hopefully you won't lose money. The total value of all the gold outstanding right now is about $9 trillion. So there are more negative yielding bonds, $13 trillion around the world, than there is gold outstanding. So there's this thought that as real rates go down, the value of gold goes up. But one of the challenges with that analysis is that the way that we can figure out what the real rate is, is by looking at the price of Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, or TIPS. We can look at what they're yielding because, as I mentioned, TIPS, the principal is marked up by the rate of inflation. So right now, the TIPS real yield for the, the five-year TIP, the seven-year TIP, and the 10-year TIP is about 0.2% very low. And so there's less of an opportunity cost to holding gold right now. But tips have only been around since 1997. And so while there is a positive relationship that gold has done well as real rates fall, we also have to recognize that tips have only been here since 1997, at least in the U.S. And during that time frame, the real yield of tips has fallen as the gold price has increased. Over time, real rates have fallen. The price of gold has gone up. But even though there's that negative correlation there, is that why gold has gone up? Is it because of real rates? Or are there other reasons? 
gold has also typically been negatively correlated to the dollar. As the dollar has strengthened, the price of gold has fallen. And that's because gold's a global market. If the dollar is getting stronger, it's more difficult for those individuals that don't use the dollar to buy gold because gold potentially is more expensive in their local currency. And as a result, the dollar price of gold tends to fall. Because gold doesn't generate any income, it's very difficult to value. You can't say gold is too expensive or it's too cheap. It's worth whatever individuals and institutions are willing to pay for it. And so it's a speculation. There's some disagreement whether the return will be positive or negative. An investment is something that has a positive expected return, typically because there is an income component. If you're going to own gold, you want to own it because you believe there will be more demand to own gold in the future. And the primary reason that some investors say they want to own gold, some very well-known investors, such as Jim Grant, he writes, gold's price is the reciprocal of the world's faith in central banks. If you think something might not be right with the world in terms of the dominance of central banks, perhaps you should own some gold. Just this month, July 2019, the renowned investor Ray Dalio of Bridgewater Associates put a piece out on LinkedIn called Paradigm Shifts, in which he suggested gold should be an asset that we own. He wrote, I think it's highly likely that sometime in the next few years, central banks will run out of stimulant to boost the markets and the economy when the economy is weak. And there will be an enormous amount of debt and non-debt liabilities, such as pension plans and health care, that will increasingly be coming due and won't be able to be funded with assets. In other words, there'll need to be a sale of assets, of bonds, perhaps of stocks, by pension funds and by other entities in order to meet their liabilities. He continues, said differently, I think that the paradigm that we are in will most likely end when real interest rate returns are pushed so low that investors holding the debt won't want to hold it and will start to move to something they think is better. I mentioned the $13 trillion of bonds that are priced to have a negative yield. He's suggesting that could get even worse. And at some point, investors will just put up their hands and say, I don't want to own that anymore. What else can we own that perhaps will be a better store of value? He continues, so the big question worth pondering at this time is which investments will perform well in a reflationary environment accompanied by large liabilities coming due and with significant internal conflict between capitalist and socialist, as well as external conflicts. It's also a good time to ask what will be the next best currency or storehold of wealth to have when most reserve currency central bankers want to devalue their currency in a fiat currency system. Which asset will most likely do best will be those that do well when the value of money is being depreciated and domestic and international conflicts are significant such as gold. He thinks gold is that asset that will do well under those circumstances. I read a paper the other day that a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus pointed out to me. It was a blog post based on some research by the International Monetary Fund. It was titled, Cashing In, How to Make Negative Interest Rates Work. 
by Ruchir Agarwal and Signe Krogstrup. It was fascinating because they were so cavalier about what they were writing about. They were pointing out that negative interest rates that central banks set in Japan, in Europe, perhaps someday in the U.S., to where banks holding reserves at the central bank pay the central bank to hold those reserves. We have these negative yielding bonds around the world already. So individuals are losing money holding those bonds. But there's a challenge that central banks have in terms of setting negative rates. Today, individuals can still hold cash, dollars, the euro, in paper bills. There's no penalty to holding that. And to truly have negative rates that are effective, that get individuals, businesses to borrow money, there needs to be a penalty to holding cash. And so this whole paper went through a scenario that essentially there would be a penalty to holding cash, that central banks would have something called e-money, electronic money, that currency, the paper bills would depreciate relative to this e-money. In other words, come up with a way that holding cash, a $100 bill, there's a penalty, not just inflation, where the currency loses value over time, but an actual penalty that when you want to convert that cash into bank deposits or e-money, that you would pay a penalty for having held cash. That's what they're talking about on blog post, further debasing the currency. No central bank has implemented that yet, but this blog post just was sort of like, yeah, here's how we would do that. Losing faith in central banks and their ability to maintain a stable value for the currency and to get the economy at full employment. Dowie was saying that there could be a time where we lose that faith and that institutions and individuals will want to own gold. Now, again, there have been long periods of time when it was illegal to own gold. From 1933 to 1974, U.S. individuals couldn't hold gold. And the price of gold was fixed. So gold is not a panacea. It does have a rocky history when it comes to being a safe haven. So we'll see. How then, though, do we invest or buy gold? Well, the easiest way is to buy an exchange-traded fund. An example is the iShares Gold Trust, IAU. As I mentioned, it owns physical gold. Trades daily, you have liquidity, the expense ratio is about 0.25%. But it's still linked to the financial markets. If you're looking for a safe haven, something physical where you can control the gold then you can buy gold coins. I have bought gold from Apmex, A-P-M-E-X. You can buy these mint sealed tubes of American Eagles. You can buy them in one ounce or you can buy them in a half ounce. Right now, if you buy 20 of them, it costs about $30,000. Now there's a cost to that. It's about a 4% commission. So they mark it up about 4%. It's expensive. You're going to pay for that because they're going to ship it to you. They overnight it, but that's another way to buy gold. You can also purchase gold futures. There are regular gold futures and what are known as E-mini futures. Let's take an example of the E-mini futures. Right now, the October 
2019 contract for E-mini futures is $1,479.75. So it's higher than the spot price for gold. You can buy one future contract, and the value of that contract is 50 times the price of gold. So right now, $73,600. That's 50 times the price of gold, roughly speaking. That's what the total value of the contract is based on. Now, you don't have to put up $74,000. You only have to put up $2,000. That $2,000 is what's known as a maintenance margin. And so then as the price of gold varies, the value in that margin account goes up or down. Now, the thing about futures contracts is in order to make money, the price of gold at the time that the contract expired needs to be higher than what the contract was based on when you bought it. So in the, if you're going to buy the October contract, the price of gold needs to be above $1,479.75. If you buy the December 2019 contract, the price of gold has to be above $1,485.50 in order to make money if you entered in and went long that gold future today. The advantage of gold futures is how they're taxed. They're not considered collectibles. If you buy physical gold or buy a gold ETF, if you hold it for more than a year, you're taxed at 28%. That's the collectible capital gains rate. It's higher than the regular capital gains rate. But if you bought gold futures, it's a blended rate of 60% long-term capital gains, about a 15% capital gains rate, and 40% short-term rates, whatever your income is. So it has some favorable tax treatment, but the challenge is you're always having to roll over these future contracts, and typically the future contract is priced higher than the spot price for gold. In the U.S., many investors hold gold. You can own this gold ETF, IAU, in your individual retirement account. You don't have to pay the collectibles tax if you sell it. To own gold coins in your IRA is more difficult because then you need a self-directed IRA. You need to get a trustee, and it gets complicated. But there's different ways to buy gold. You can own the physical gold. You can buy into a trust that's set up like an ETF to buy gold, and that owns the physical gold or you can buy gold futures. But gold is a speculation. It's not an investment. The price is going to be driven by the level of fear that investors have. Their desire to own an asset that has a complex history, that at times has been illegal to own, that at times its price has been controlled or fixed, but it's been around for millennia. Jim Grant writes, gold, which is probably never traded at zero, not in millennia, it's a store of value. Gold explained itself. One look tells you it's valuable. You don't need a computer server, electrical outlet, or instruction manual, like you would with cryptocurrency. I own gold. It's about 4% of my net worth, I believe. Investors that for speculations, which this is, should be less than 10% of your net worth. You want the primary driver of your net worth to be income generating assets. So that's our look at gold. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide and I'll email those show notes to you each week, the links to them 
as well as an essay I do each week on some aspect of money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just goes to the email list, and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.